We're going from bitterness to betterness today on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You A common response to pain and loss is anger, blaming God and turning bitter. And maybe that's the place you find yourself in. Naomi sure was, on the heels of losing her husband and two sons, and in a land she didn't belong. So how do we deal with a death blow to this bitterness if and when it takes root in our lives? We'll soon find out the answer is at the cross and in forgiveness. Let's return to the story of Ruth and Naomi on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. As we read through the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, pure and holy and without sin, and reread his lineage in Matthew chapter 4, five women are mentioned in his genealogy. Four of them have very questionable backgrounds. For example, Tamar is mentioned. She, we learn about her in Genesis chapter 38. She's the one that committed incest with her father in the lineage of Jesus Christ, redeemed by God. Rahab was the Gentile harlot we met in Joshua chapter 2, redeemed by God and used to keep the spies safe. We also meet Ruth, an outcast Moabitess Gentile, here in Ruth chapter 1, redeemed and used for God's glory, introducing us to the truth of the kinsman redeemer. Like even in your pain, God's going to redeem your pain. You see, what we see with Ruth And Naomi is widow ministering to widow, daughter-in-law ministering to mother-in-law, as it should be. Another woman is mentioned in Matthew chapter 4, the wife of Uriah. She's better known to us as Bathsheba, the one that committed adultery, all redeemed and used in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Listen, whatever your past might be, Whatever it is that you've been into, when you turn your life over to the God that loves you, God can use your past for his glory and his goodness, even as he is with Ruth here in the life of Naomi. It's the Gentile encouraging the woman of the covenant. Imagine that, how good and gracious God is to us. As Ruth is clinging to Naomi, it's just so sweet as she confesses her love for Naomi while committing herself to God. Notice in verse 16, your God is my God. There was an example of the one true God in this family. Even though Naomi's not being a very good witness here, she's not representing the one true God very well here, there has been in her life the worship of the one true God, the keeping of the covenant, even in Moab. And she said, look, I don't want to go back to the gods like Orpah. I'm not going anywhere. Your God is my God. Now, these verses are often used in a wedding ceremony when the groom and the bride, they do their personal vows and they share. They're beautiful. They're beautiful things as you watch the watch 
them look in each other's eyes and they'll say, hey, wherever you go, I'll go. And wherever you lodge, I'll lodge. And your people should be my people. And where you die, I'll die with you. It's all, I mean, it's beautiful, but these aren't marriage vows. These are vows from one widow to another. It's not just the kind of commitment that's reserved for marriage. It's a commitment we can make to each other in every walk of life to commit to support and to love one another as God intended in the body of Christ. Even though Naomi was a messed up witness of God's love and grace, God interceded and overruled and intervened. And I love it. Verse 19 now. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? Or you could say, is this pleasant? Has pleasant finally come home? And she said to them, do not call me pleasant. Do not call me Naomi, but call me, what does your Bible say? Mara. What does Mara mean? Bitter. Imagine that. Call me Mara. Why? Why should we call you bitter, Naomi? Because the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Blaming God is a natural response. It's not a good response, but it's a natural response to pain and specifically to loss. We can see that Naomi's blaming God for the deaths of her husband and her sons. She's blaming God for the bitterness that's been brewing in her heart for so many years. She finally comes home after 10 years of being away. The city of Bethlehem, the house of bread, is excited. Welcome home. Pleasant has finally come home. Pleasant is finally returned, and she declares for all that would hear, don't call me pleasant. I'm not pleasant. I'm bitter. Call me bitter. Just call me bitter. I have to say over the years of ministering to many people, very, very few people that I have served have been this bold just to come straight up and say, just call me bitter. No, instead what happens is try to hide it. Try to put a face on. You, You try to plow through but you've lived to the point where you have disobeyed God, like the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. You've allowed bitterness to take root in your life, and by this, the Bible says, many have become defiled. And as Naomi's blaming God, I I pray that you'll hear me on this, because it's so important for us to receive the instruction of God today. So often in times of death, we somehow seek to blame God, especially in those deaths that we conclude are untimely. Let me just say this. For any of us that have lost loved ones, no matter their age, death always feels untimely. It always feels out of place. The Bible declares that death is an enemy. So much so that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Bible says he defeated sin and death. In in its place by faith comes resurrection and new life. In those times that we conclude death is untimely, especially in the loss of a child, in her case, both her sons, We need to remember that it's not God's fault that death entered into the picture. 
One, by one man, sin entered into the world, and by that sin, death entered in. And so in a very real way, in a primary sense, man, the sin of man is responsible for death, not God. But blaming is natural. We see it in another place in the scriptures. Remember when Mary and Martha's brother was sick? His name was Lazarus. And they called for Jesus to come because they were hopeful he would come and heal their sick brother. But in the delay of the arrival of Jesus, their brother died. And as Jesus finally comes into the town of Bethany, Martha runs out to him, and what does she do? She blames him for the death of her brother. If you were only here earlier, it wouldn't have happened, Jesus. Here in the presence of life and healing and even resurrection, her heart and her feelings are those of blame, pointing the finger at the very one that gives her life. It's normal. You see, when we sorrow over death, we sorrow over our loss. Because our loved ones that were saved, they are in a good place. (laughs) They are where we all desire to be. They just got there a little bit earlier than us. Their last breath on earth led to their first breath in the presence of God to accept and to receive the fulfillment of all the promises that they lived by faith while they were still with us. But for us, we're the ones that sorrow. We're the ones that grieve. We're the ones that grieve and mourn our loss and what a real loss it is that so many of you have experienced. We're the ones that need God's help and encouragement and strength. And as the Lord God has allowed me to officiate many funerals over the years. I I haven't done one uh, in the last four years, and I'm not really even sure I'll ever be able to officiate another funeral. Perhaps the Lord will allow that. But in the funerals that I've officiated over the years, my heart, and when I still hear of, of memorial services being here, my heart is always that God would encourage and that God would comfort those that are attending. No matter where their walk of life and no matter how they're connected to the family, that there would be encouragement, especially when it is a memorial service for a child. Because that, that is a very big trigger and temptation, more than some others, to blame God for the loss. Bitterness is just around the corner, knocking on the door, wanting to come into your life. We're all going to face the temptation of bitterness, all of us, in a variety of different ways the death of a loved one, the death of a dream, the death of a marriage, the death of a desire. I mean, we're all going to face these things that will tempt us toward bitterness. Offenses. Jesus spoke of offenses, and he said, woe to him by whom the offense comes, because they'll come to us. And the temptation comes to all of us to live our lives with a sour disposition toward others to somehow try to get back. And it gets covered with sarcasm and it gets covered with cynicism, but it's bitterness nonetheless. Webster's Dictionary describes bitterness this way. Angry, hurt, resentful, harsh, unpleasant, painful disposition. Let me repeat that. An angry, hurt, resentful, harsh, unpleasant, painful disposition. And there is bitterness in this room today. And to those listening to this Bible study, unnecessarily, but it's there. And it needs to be taken out at the root. 
To whom I'm speaking, I don't know. But God does. That you've allowed the circumstances in your life to embitter you toward God and to embitter you toward your fellow man or a relative or a friend or a former friend. You've become so cynical and so sarcastic. Oh, it's not that some of those things can exist without bitterness. They can. But oftentimes they're just masks of hiding the hurt that you're carrying around and the anger and the resentment that has grown deep into your heart. So what do we do? How do we respond? Let me show you one more thing before we leave. Would you turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 15, please? Exodus chapter 15. Naomi comes in and she says, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. And while you're turning to Exodus, the Bible says, Naomi speaking, I went out full, but the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me pleasant? Since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. And so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So deep, Naomi says, you know what? I went out full, but now I come back empty. God's against me. And I don't want to be known as pleasant any longer. That, that part of my life has changed forever. She's saying, how do we deal with bitterness? What are we to do? Certainly, on a very simple scale, to extend forgiveness is one of the first ways you deal death blow to bitterness. You walk in forgiveness. You extend it. You learn what the Bible has to say about forgiveness. We've studied those things in depth in previous studies. You can go to our website and just put the word forgive or forgiveness in there. Bible studies will pop up on the topic. If you want to email me later today, I'll see it uh, probably on Tuesday, but if you want to email me later today, I'll send you a PDF on the topic of forgiveness. Forgiveness and reconciliation. And you can go through it, whether it's what you need in this moment or it's preparation for the future. Forgiveness is certainly a way out. But where does forgiveness come from and how is it defined? Notice with me in Exodus 15, I draw your attention to verse 22. The children of Israel have been delivered from Egypt. They're in the wilderness. They just finished a wonderful time of worship and adoration and appreciation for the faithfulness of God. And yet they face a trial so quickly after their time of worship, it says in verse 22, that Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. They're thirsty and they're parched. Three days in the hot, baking sun of the wilderness. And day number one, there's no water. Day number two, there's no water. Day number three, they finally come to a place of water. I picture it like seeing it like a mirage. And they all head over to it. And they begin to jump in and take it in, only to find out, well, notice what the text says, when they came to Mara, oh, wait a minute, what's that word mean? Bitter. They could not drink the waters of Mara. For they were bitter, therefore the name of this place was called Mara. Let's read that again. Now, when they came to bitter, they could not drink the waters of bitter, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called bitter. They were greatly disappointed with the water because it was undrinkable, unusable, because it was sick. 
and dirty and bitter. And instead of crying out to God, they blame the person that's closest to them, Moses. Because it is the people that are closest to us that suffer the greatest from our bitterness. Just like it says in Hebrews 12, that you'll defile many. And the many that are defiled, your spouse, your children, your friends, even your church family. They are crying out, it says in verse 24, they murmur against Moses. What shall we drink? As if Moses could fix the water. He had no power whatsoever of dealing with the bitterness of this water, but he could do what we read in verse 25. He could cry out to the Lord, which is always the right decision. And the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast that tree into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And he made a statue and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them. And he said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees, and they camped there by the waters. What's the solution, Moses? He, God points out a tree. Take the tree and throw it in the water. And when you do that, the waters will become sweet. And isn't it true that God has pointed out a tree for you and me? This tree has a crossbeam. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. And that as you walk in the forgiveness of God and you throw the cross of Jesus back into the waters of bitterness in your life, God will make them sweet. You come to the cross and die to yourself. You come to the cross and accept the forgiveness. Removal of the guilt and shame. You come humbly. You come meekly. You come broken. You come bitter to the cross and God will make it sweet. It's the cross of Jesus Christ that's the solution. It's the cross of Jesus Christ that changed a bitter person into sweet. It's the cross of Jesus Christ that has sealed, has sealed your relationship with God forever by faith. You've got to throw the tree into it, guys. It's the only way. You can't will yourself out of it. You can't think yourself out of it. You can't give yourself out of it. You've got to come to the cross. Jesus said, anyone wants to come and come after me and follow me, let him die to himself, deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Notice the promise of God in verse 26 in Exodus is, I am the Lord who heals. You know, this is the, this is the place in the Bible where we get the phrase Jehovah Rapha. That's what it is in the Hebrew, the God who heals, Jehovah Rapha. It's one of the names of God. And the very next stop was not waters of bitterness, but God is able to take you from Mara to Elim, where there were waters, wells of fresh water and palm trees to shade you. You've got to throw the cross into the waters of Mara. It's the only way you're going to get to the palm trees and the fresh water. The rest that God promises you. Come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, in Ruth chapter 1, it opens up with a famine, but the chapter ends with a harvest. And that is often the process. You, you, you don't feel like it's ever going to end. And you don't feel like you're ever going to get victory over this. 
and you look at your life right now and you think, you know, I'm this age and I'm at this place and I just don't see a change. And yet what God wants to do is He wants to bring you from famine to harvest. He wants to bring you from Mara to Elim. He wants to bring you from bitterness to sweet water and shade and comfort and encouragement. You see, we are once again reading the Bible and reading of a person's life, Ruth and Naomi. You see, Naomi comes to town, great excitement. Don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. I'm a bitter woman now. God's against me. But little does she know how it's going to end. She doesn't know yet. She doesn't know why Ruth was clinging to her yet. She doesn't know about the kinsman redeemer yet. She doesn't know how God's going to restore to her the joy of her salvation. She doesn't know yet, and neither do you, except that, the God, that God over and over in his, in his word will show you through the lives of people that you're going to get through this. That little by little it's going to get better. That God is going to heal you. He's going to minister to your need. So much so that you'll be strong enough to then walk into someone else's life and help them when they're going through the deep, dark valley that you were going through. You've got to come back to the cross. There's no other way. There's no other way to experience, to go from bitterness to sweet without the cross and his finished work in your life. Good things You might be in famine right now, but good things are around the corner. The harvest is just up ahead. Maybe 10 years. Maybe five years. Maybe three, maybe even shorter. But it's not going to be famine forever. God's got a harvest. He's ready to work in your life. Steady on and trust Him. Amen? Thanks for listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. We've been learning how to go from bitter to better through a story of Ruth. All of this is part of our series, Help for the Troubled Heart. Our special offer to you today is Pastor Ed's entire series, Help for the Troubled Heart, on a USB thumb drive. This customized thumb drive can plug into your car or computer, making it easy to listen to wherever you go. We'll send it to you with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more. And remember, your donation allows us to bring the teaching of God's Word to this station every day. You'll be helping many others grow and be encouraged by God's abounding grace. Call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Well, Ed, in today's message, you laid out the pathway to breaking free from bitterness. I think this bitterness often occurs on the heels of being hurt by the actions of someone else. If someone is needing to forgive someone, what's a good first step? You know, Larry, a good first step in forgiveness is to forgive. Release the person of their debt to you. You can do that verbally right now as you're listening to this radio broadcast. And if they would receive a phone call from you, then call them. If they would receive a visit from you, visit them. If they won't, don't want anything to do with you, that doesn't prevent you from forgiving them. So forgive. Understand that as much as God has forgiven you, you forgive them. Now I have to tell you, forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. And yes, it is possible to forgive without the other person repenting. Now that's going to hinder the relationship and it's going to hinder reconciliation but it should never hinder your forgiveness. And so forgive. And I want to encourage you, if you want help with forgiveness, 
email us at the church, and we will send you a pamphlet that we use here on forgiveness and reconciliation. It is powerful. I think a copy of it is up on my blog, too, at edtaylor.org. And we want to put that into your hands free of charge. All you need to do is contact us by email. The only way we can do this is by email. We'll respond and give you a link where you can download it. It's a PDF. You can print it out and share it with as many people as you can. Forgiveness is the key. And there's a lot of great insight in this pamphlet. But forgive, forgive, forgive. Watch God do it. Don't wait for the feeling. Obey first, and the feelings will follow. As we're learning through our present series, God has the help we need when our heart is troubled and we're discouraged. And at helpforthetroubledheart.com, you'll find resources that will encourage your faith and lift your spirit. Again, drop by helpforthetroubledheart.com today. We'd also like to pray for you and whatever situation you find yourself in today. We'd be honored to go to the Lord on your behalf. So email your prayer requests to prayer at calvaryaurora.org. And we have a couple of apps we'd like to recommend that are free and available on all platforms. Search for Calvary Aurora and the Grace FM Colorado apps. You'll be able to access Pastor Ed's teachings there. Don't miss our next study when we'll bring you more help for the troubled heart. That's right here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Aurora. 